This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Welcome to the Liz Wheeler Show. If you haven't already subscribed to the show, before we get started, would you go ahead and do that? Go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify, click that subscribe button, or if you prefer the video version of the show, go to youtube.com slash Liz Wheeler or Rumble dot com slash Liz Wheeler. Hit the subscribe button there. On YouTube, if you hit that bell, I will be able to notify you every time we have a new episode or a new interview or a new video for you. Greatly appreciate everybody who's been subscribing. So what are we going to talk about today? I want to talk about the classified documents that were found at Joe Biden's private office. Now, not Joe Biden the president, not the White House office. This is Joe Biden the vice president. Documents from the Obama administration when Joe was the number two. He was vice president. He has this think tank, I guess. I mean, politicians always do this, but it's essentially just a front to make it seem like what they're doing between times when they run for office is something productive. Oftentimes it's not productive. But Biden has this think tank that's called the Penn Biden Center. And in his private office in a closet, there were documents that were found by Biden's attorney that turned out to be highly classified documents. What were they doing in Biden's private office? What should the repercussions be? And most importantly, what has been the media reaction to this? Because remember, it was what, August? So September, October, November, December, January, five months ago, when Mar-a-Lago was raided by the FBI. What was the pretext of that? The pretext was, oh, President Trump took classified documents from the White House to Mar-a-Lago. That's a threat to national security. He refused to give them to the National Archives when the National Archives asked them. This is, this is what the left claimed, as you remember. And as the pretext for the FBI raid, the left, of course, wants to prosecute Trump for this. They want to convict him of a crime. They want to make it so that it's illegal for him to run for office in 2024. But the way that they're looking at the Biden stuff is, is it's actually almost humorous if it weren't so incredibly illustrative of the view of the left, how the left views themselves as above conservatives, above Christians, above us. They think they play by a different set of rules. So a couple funny videos to show you regarding that. Then we're going to get into the real juicy stuff. The real juicy stuff. I'm laughing because the stuff in this, in Prince Harry's new book is it actually is. It actually is pretty good gossip, if that's what you're looking for. I was not sure before Prince Harry published this book if there'd be any good stuff in it, because I watched Prince Harry and Meghan Markle's Netflix documentary that they made about themselves. They said they wanted to tell their true story, and I watched it, and it was a bunch of nothing. They made these like vague allegations without ever giving the real dirt that would substantiate the allegations that, that were made. And until like episode four or something, there wasn't really anything that people hadn't already heard. So I thought the book would be much of the same, but it's not. It's not. Now, maybe you tuned into the show today wanting to talk about politics. Maybe you're thinking, Liz, I don't, I don't really care about Prince Harry. You know, we fought a war in 1776 for independence from the British monarchy so that we don't have to care about them at all. And I totally hear you. I totally see you on that. However, however, this is not just juicy gossip. It's not just 
you know, Real Housewives times 10 level drama between warring family members. There's a reason why we in the United States should care about, not the British monarchy itself, but should care about what exactly is happening between Prince Harry and uh, William back in Britain and King Charles. So you don't have to read this book. It's almost 500 pages. I've got it condensed for you, exactly what you need to know, why, and how it relates to what's happening right here in the United States of America, the country that, you know, we love the best that actually matters. So let's get to it. Making everyone happy on vacation isn't easy, but you know what is? Going to Aruba. All you have to do is walk out your door to find pristine pools, relaxing white sand beaches, and an island teeming with outdoor activities that'll put a smile on any face. You won't just feel great, you'll all feel great, filled with a calmer, more peaceful vibe that radiates Aruba's warmth. And the best part is, it never fades. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your family trip at aruba.com. Okay, so the Biden classified documents fiasco, it's quite humorous to watch the left-wing punditry, which means almost every cable news show out there, every blue check mark on Twitter, every print outlet defend Biden. The word that I have heard used more than any other word when these left-wingers are describing the fact that Joe Biden, when he was vice president, had classified documents in an in unsecured facility in his so-called think tank. Like, who believes that Biden has a think tank, really? In this closet in his private office that were just found on November 2nd of last year, just six days before the election, but we weren't told about it. Um, the word that I heard used the most to describe this was, oh, there were some classified documents accidentally in these boxes. It, it was an accident. It was a mistake. It was an error. It wasn't on purpose. It was just an accident. Like they just got shuffled in together. That can happen to anybody, right? You're just sorting your grocery receipts and maybe a photograph of you and some dignitary from another country and just accidentally slip in top secret, highly classified information from human intelligence sources around the world, which if our enemies got a hold of could cause the torture and death of those sources. Anybody can make that mistake. Just an accident. Just an accident, folks. Move right along. This is not an accident. Anybody who's ever dealt with classified information, especially top secret information, knows that the paper is not just in a binder. The paper is not just in a stack of other papers and briefing documents. There is a cover sheet, a thick manila envelope style cover sheet on classified information to hide the classified sheet so that when you set it on a desk, it has a cover on it so that people who don't have clearance can't just look down and see it so that it's not accidentally captured on camera so that it is hidden so that it's classified, so that it's secret because it is top secret. So the idea that this was some kind of accident is absurd on its face. What this is, of course, is the mainstream media trying to protect Joe Biden because this is a literal one-to-one -one contrast with how the Democrats and the mainstream media want to treat Republicans and how the Democrats and the mainstream media want to treat Democrats. And they want two different sets of, not just rules, but two different sets of laws applied to applied to this situation. So um, a, a, a very powerful man or a man in a very powerful position once commented on what it means when classified information is mishandled. And I'd like us all just to take a moment and reflect on his very wise words. And you saw the photograph 
of the top secret documents laid out on the floor at Mar-a-Lago. What did you think to yourself looking at that image? How that could possibly happen. How one, anyone could be that irresponsible. And I thought, what data was in there that may compromise sources and methods? By that, I mean names of people who helped, or et cetera. And it's just uh, totally irresponsible. And you don't know. The height of irresponsibility. I sit here and I think, how could that have even happened? I wonder about the lives of the human intelligence sources who've been placed at risk. That was five months ago. Joe Biden talking to Scott Pelley at CBS about President Trump. Actually, not about President Trump. It was about the FBI when they raided Mar-a-Lago, when they raided Trump's private office there, the 45 office. They spread out on the carpet of the 45 office these allegedly classified documents that they found. They took a picture of it, and then in the picture, they just blacked out. They just redacted the classified information, and they released this picture. They leaked this to the press because we all saw it. That is actually what Joe Biden is talking about. He's not talking about President Trump mishandling classified information. So let's talk about the what it is of what happened and do a little game of compare and contrast here. Compare this scandal of Joe Biden mishandling classified information with um, President Trump's dispute with the National Archives over who had ownership of the documents that he had at Mar-a-Lago. So what happened here is on November 2nd of 2022, this is six days before the pivotal midterm elections, Joe Biden's lawyers claimed that while looking through boxes in the closet at the Penn Biden Center, this hashtag IRL think tank of Joe Biden's that I think we all know, not a lot of thinking going on over there, They found these documents and they said they immediately notified the National Archives who took possession of them. They said they cooperated with the National Archives. Funny, by the way, in their initial statement, how they're already trying to contrast their behavior with President Trump's behavior. This was six days before the midterm, yet there was no leaks, nothing. We didn't hear about this. We haven't, we didn't hear about this until this week, until this week. So let's talk about these two situations. So President Trump at Mar-a-Lago, He was the president of the United States, so he had unilateral authority to declassify anything that he wants. That's that's Supreme Court precedent. That's widely understood um, legal technicality of being the president. You don't have to go through convoluted processes to declassify documents. You can just say, I declassify that, and it is. President Trump says he he had a standing order that any classified document that he took from the White House to Mar-a-Lago, he declassified so that it was appropriate for him to bring it with him and appropriate for him to store it. That's the first thing. Contrast that with Biden. Right now, Biden is the president of the United States and he shares that authority, the unilateral authority to declassify any document that he wants. However, however, at the time when these documents were stored, Biden was the vice president. This was during the Obama administration. Biden was the number two. Biden had zero authority to declassify anything. There's no argument about whether it was appropriate or inappropriate, legal or illegal, for Biden to have possession of these documents at his private office. He had no authority. It was illegal for him to be in possession of these documents. In 2018, by the way, he claimed that he no longer had access to classified information. Well, that's a lie because of these documents. Um, The second thing here is the the Trump Mar-a-Lago thing was actually just a dispute between Trump and the National Archives about who had ownership of the documents that Trump had um, in his possession at Mar-a-Lago. Was it it the government's 
property or was it Trump's property? Trump argued that it was his property because you are allowed to take mementos and artifacts and things that were given to you personally when you're president. That's yours. But other things, notes and, and any kind of documentation, any, any, any speech, any, anything that was created in the official business of being the chief executive of the United States belongs to the federal government. So what happened between the National Archives and Trump was actually just a dispute over ownership. Trump thought he, he that, that the letter that Kim Jong-un wrote to him, that that was his, that was his personal possession. The National Archives said, nope, that belongs to the federal government. And then of course, we all know that this was just a pretext. This argument between Trump and the National Archives was a pretext because the FBI wanted to raid Mar-a-Lago, the left, the deep state want to charge President Trump with a felony for mishandling classified information because a little provision of that statute says that if you're convicted of mishandling classified information that you are prohibited from ever running for public office again. Voila, the left gets their wish that President Trump never runs for the presidency again. So a little comparing and contrasting of these situations tells us um, a lot of what we need to know. Of course, the word accident that I mentioned before was an accident. It was a mistake. That's used for Biden. But when it came to Trump, throw him in jail, imprison him, arrest him, make it so that he's not allowed to be part of our self-governing system. He's not allowed to be part of our representative republic. Prosecute him. This is not hypocrisy, my friends. This is not a matter of, oh, the left, Biden thought he couldn't, he wouldn't get caught, you know, or they're, they're treating, they treated Trump differently because they thought that they could get away with it. No, no. This is a completely separate thing from hypocrisy. This is elitism. Elitism is not a matter of, oh, I'm going to try to do something because I think I can get away with it, even if it makes me a hypocrite. No, elitism means there's no pretense of trying to get away with something. There's no pretense of you being bound to the same rules as someone else. These elitists, Biden, the Democrats, the ruling class, the mainstream media, actually think that they deserve to be treated differently than we are treated. They think they deserve to be held to a different legal standard than Trump. Because Trump is Trump and Biden is Biden. And actually on The View, Joy Behar voiced this almost verbatim. Take a listen. Really, I but, mean, I, I think that no, what you just said is yeah, right, that, yeah. that there are differences in what happened. Yes, but you know, the are not good. Well, we all know that Trump is a liar and a thief, you know? <laughs> we know that. So it's not that big a jump to say that he obstructed and he lied. We don't think that Biden is a liar and a thief, so we give him the benefit of the doubt. That's partly what's going on. But what I think also is going on, no matter what the truth of it is, Whoopi, they will spin it, Bubblehead and Marjorie Taylor and that crowd, Matt Gates. you think they're not gonna spin this that is just as bad as Trump? And so the, the lie gets out there, people believe it, just like that Donaldson person, whatever his name is. Byron. What's his name? Byron, Byron Donalds. Mm. I saw him also, he was at the, uh, the fight on the floor too, yeah. wasn't he, he was nominated for speaker at number yes. people by two people. Yeah. He's, He's been the in darling. one of the 15 rounds. But, I mean, what I'm just saying is that the party. lying has been so invasive, mm -hmm. so ubiquitous, mm -hmm. that no one will believe the truth anymore. And that, that you can put that at the, at the feet of Donald Trump, who started the lying. So. Oh, so it's different because Joy Behar thinks that Trump is a liar and a thief. So to say that he obstructed then is perfectly plausible in her mind, but, you know, Joy Behar doesn't think that Biden is a liar and a thief, so you give him the benefit of the doubt. Thank God that's not how our legal system works, or that's not how it's supposed to work unless Democrats are in charge of executing 
uh, the laws of our land. Biden should receive the exact same treatment that President Trump has received. In fact, he should receive a harsher penalty because what he did was actually illegal. There is no defense for a vice president, a former vice president to have classified information. He could never declassify those documents ever, 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 ever. And it wasn't a a dispute over who had ownership of those documents. So FBI, you know where Biden lives, get going. As the nation gears up for another election season, tune to the first TV for the best coverage on television. Get an exclusive inside look at the American political machine with Sean Spicer at seven. Unmatched analysis and historical perspective from Bill O'Reilly at eight. Then a bold, unapologetic take from Jesse Kelly at nine. It's must-see TV in primetime every night on the first TV. Watch the first on DirecTV channel 347, Uverse channel 1220, or DirecTV stream. All right, now we are going to talk about Harry and Meghan. Prince Harry wrote a book, which you do not have to read. And like I said before, maybe you you tune into this show for politics and you're thinking, Liz, I just don't care about the British monarchy. I do not care about a rich, spoiled prince who is whining about his privileged life. And listen, I hear you. I get that. I, I actually don't care either, except, strangely enough, I've been clicking on all these headlines. It's very incongruent, my thoughts and my behavior in this case, because I think, oh, I don't care at all about the British monarchy. I certainly don't care about Prince Harry. Meghan Markle is very unlikable. I never want to hear from her again. And yet every time that there's one of these revelations, bam, I'm giving those websites a click because it's pretty, it's pretty fascinating to follow along. And it's not just juicy gossip. It's not just family drama. There's a very, very important cultural lesson to learn from, um, from this ongoing saga that's happening. Okay, so Prince Harry's book is called Spare, and we have a picture of this that I want to show on the screen because some sleuth on Twitter, I wish I had saved this tweet so I could give this person proper credit, but I do not remember who this was, who noticed this, so I apologize for not citing you properly. Um, What this individual on Twitter noticed is absolutely hilarious. So what you see here is Prince Harry's face. It's an extreme close-up of his face and it's it's blurred out it's blurred out it's in fact it's such a close up it's such a close close up that it distorts the figures on his face it's a very unique looking picture this book prince harry wrote in uh, with a ghostwriter the ghostwriter's name is jr molinger and you want to know what is so hilarious jr molinger also was the ghostwriter for andre agassi andre agassi the tennis player the tennis great look at this look at this book it is not only the same ghostwriter it's the literal same cover picture what? What? Did they not notice this when they did it? I mean, it had to be intentional, right? Whoever noticed this on Twitter, this is probably my favorite fact about the Prince Harry book. So um, identify yourself and I'm happy to give you credit because I think that is hilarious. So this book, this book is almost 500 pages long. It, it, it's it's a, a whiny screed. And I say that as someone who, I don't think that Harry is entirely wrong. Hear me out on this. I do think Prince Harry has experienced wrongdoing aimed at him in his life. I think that he was mistreated as a child after his mother died. He wasn't given the resources to grieve. He didn't have the family support. He was probably treated like the spare to William's heir. All of those things are probably true. I think it's absolutely true that the British media uh, threw Meghan and Harry under the bus in order to prop up William and Kate, and that the palace, meaning William's office and Charles's office, trade negative stories about 
Harry and Meghan to the press in exchange for negative stories about William not being published. That's, I'm sure, true. I'm, I'm certain that that's true, and that's an awful thing to experience. He ha- so I think Harry has experienced some bad things, but when you make your identity one of a victim, when you publicize this kind of drama for the sake of publicity because you want to tell your quote-unquote truth, it makes you pretty darn unlikable. Pretty darn unlikable. In fact, in fact, Harry and Meghan right now live in right outside Santa Barbara, California. It's just a couple hours north of San Diego in a very wealthy, very exclusive neighborhood called Montecito, California. They are neighbors with people like Ellen DeGeneres, people like Oprah Winfrey, um, and which also makes it funnier that Harry's complaining about this, 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 his life of privilege because he's in one of the wealthiest, most exclusive neighborhoods. Well, there's this enormous flooding that's happening. There was an evacuation order for the entire Montecito, California area. And Ellen DeGeneres went in her backyard and made a video about this horrendous, this truly horrendous flooding. I'm not making fun of the flooding part, but look at this video. So, Montecito is under complete evacuation the entire town. This is a five-year anniversary from the fire and mudslides that killed so many people and uh, lost their homes, their lives. This is crazy on the five-year anniversary. We are having unprecedented rain. This creek next to our house never flows, ever. Probably about nine feet up, and it's just going down the street. Now we have more spread to evacuate. Um, be nice to Mother Nature. Oh, we need to be nicer to Mother Nature, Ellen DeGeneres tells us. The implication, of course, is that um, the, the implication is climate change, that we need to adopt the Green New Deal type stuff and stop using fossil fuels or else the world is going to, well... I guess, flood, and, and she didn't look hurt. I mean, I'm sorry that their neighborhoods are flooding, and that, and I'm definitely, it was horrible to see all those wildfires, but unrelated to climate change, as we all know. However, when she says we need to be nicer to Mother Nature, all I could think is, oh, you know, this is the same day that Prince Harry released his book. This is his neighborhood. I mean, coincidence, Mother Nature? Maybe Mother Nature read this book. We'll just have to see. So what I did, what I did is I compiled some of the juiciest gossip from this book, but again, this is political. This, this is the culture war. And you might be here for the politics. Well, you should stick around and hear about this because each and every revelation that Harry makes in this book, there's, there's an undercurrent. There are two constants that he does not mention, but two constants that lead to the situation that he is in. What I mean by that is broken families and a lack of faith in God beget the situation that Harry is in. I know Harry's a prince. I know his family is made of kings and queens. They are the monarchy. But actually, the revelations that he is making in this book are not exclusive to just people who wear crowns. This is actually the same sort of drama that broken families everywhere, regardless of whether you're a prince or a pauper, that every broken family experiences. And, and this, is not a, this is not a coincidence. This is, broken families and a lack of faith in God are not a coincidence. What is it? This is the atheistic, Marxist assault on our civil institutions. This is, this is the intent of the cultural Marxists, is to tear down these cultural institutions like marriage and the family and sex and children to beget 
chaos in our society so that when people don't have their family to rely on, they turn to government policies to rely on. And of course, who is hurt the most by all of this? Children are hurt the most by cultural Marxism, children who grow up into broken adults. That's my little preaching so that I feel less guilty for indulging in the gossip of this book. So let's get started here. Um, e! News, believe it or not, we're using as a reference here today. E! News has a breakdown of the uh, juiciest tidbits in Harry's book. So let's go through some of them. They, uh, e! News writes, How Charles broke the news about Princess Diana's death. Prince Harry describes the moment his father told him that Princess Diana had been in a fatal car crash, writing that King Charles III, then the Prince of Wales, had a difficult time finding the right words. Mummy was quite badly injured and taken to a hospital, darling boy, Harry recalls his dad saying. He always called me darling boy, but he was saying it quite a lot now. His voice was soft. He was in shock, it seemed. When Charles ultimately said, I'm afraid she didn't make it, for Harry, everything seemed to come to a stop. Harry continues, what I do remember with startling clarity is that I didn't cry, not one tear. He then says, Pa didn't hug me. He wasn't great at showing emotions under normal circumstances. How could he be expected to show them in such a crisis? But his hand did fall once more on my knee, and he said, it's going to be okay. That was quite a lot for him. Fatherly, hopeful, kind, and so very untrue. That kind of rips at your heart, doesn't it? But this, this is exactly my point about the culture war. What is this begot of? It's begot of divorce and a broken family. This, the, these things that traumatized Harry that led him to turn to progressivism and relativism and victimhood, these things would not have happened had his parents not divorced, had his family not been broken. All of this could have been avoided if faith in God and family were put on the highest pedestal, and yet they weren't. E! News goes on to say, Harry regrets the last conversation he had with his mother. Harry last spoke to his mother hours before the car crash that took her life on August 31st of 1997, but he regretfully remembers being too preoccupied to really sit down and talk. When she called earlier that night, he writes, I was running around with Willie and my cousins and didn't want to stop playing, so I'd been short with her, impatient to get back to my games. I'd rushed mommy off the phone. I wish I'd apologized for it. I wish I'd searched for the words to describe how much I loved her. I didn't know that search would take decades. Again, rips your heart out. Again, if this family had not been broken. None of this pain would have been inflicted on Harry, which led him to the place, um, to led him to all these scandals that we're going to talk about in just a second. Scandals that, some of which will surprise you and some of which are just plain sad. America is on trial. Join me, Josh Hammer, as we examine the presidential election through the only lens that truly matters, the legal proceedings of Donald Trump and the Biden crime family. This new daily podcast examines breaking news and analyzes the biggest questions facing the country. Can the former president, Donald Trump, get a fair trial? Can Trump be disqualified from the ballot? Can Joe Biden pardon his son, Hunter? Can Trump even pardon himself? We cover all the action every morning. Listen to America on Trial, wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Okay, so one of the one of the things, and you've probably heard this, I had heard this before. This has been a story that's been a rumor in the tabloids for a long time that uh, well, now King Charles wasn't really Harry's father, that Diana had had an affair and that Harry had been fathered by her lover at the time. And Harry says in his book that this wasn't just a tabloid rumor, that this was a joke that then Prince Charles made in front of Harry all the time, which 
is extremely damaging. This is what E! News writes. Apparently, Harry's parentage was the butt of an ongoing family joke, and no one was immune from the unfounded speculation that Diana's one-time lover, James Hewitt, was Harry's real father. Paul liked telling stories, Harry wrote, and this was one of the best in his repertoire. Who knows if I'm really the Prince of Wales? Who knows if I'm even your real father? Maybe your real father is in Broadmoor, darling boy. He'd laugh and laugh, Harry writes, though it was a remarkably unfunny joke given the rumor circulating just then that my actual father was one of Mummy's former lovers, Major James Hewitt. One cause of this rumor was Major Hewitt's flaming ginger hair, but another cause was sadism. Tabloid readers were delighted by the idea that the younger child of Prince Charles wasn't the child of Prince Charles. They couldn't get enough of this quote-unquote joke for some reason. Maybe it made them feel better about their lives, that a young prince's life was laughable. Never mind that my mother didn't meet Major Hewitt until long after I was born. The story simply was too good to drop. That's really messed up. That's, again, a lot of these stories do evoke a compassionate feeling for Prince Harry. But what is the defining underlying thesis here? This is sexual impropriety by Diana because of a broken family, because of sexual impropriety by King Char- by now King Charles. None of this would have happened had they not broken their family up. None of it would have happened. So Harry didn't process his grief, he said. He said he couldn't talk about it with um, his brother. He said he didn't even believe that his mother died at first. He said for years he thought she had just disappeared and would call for him at any time that she had maybe pulled off a disappearing act because she didn't want media scrutiny. He said he didn't, he didn't believe it even when her casket was lowered into the ground, although that's the one time he cried. But because he wasn't given a proper channel for his grief, he didn't have the proper support systems, it led him to drugs. It led him to drugs. This is what E! News writes. Tabloid characterizations of Harry as a big partier weren't exactly incorrect, he admits in spare. Though he found a Harry's drugs shame headline in a story using a photo of him visiting a rehab center as part of a public service implying he was going to rehab pretty rich, Harry writes that he chalked it all up to royal spin at work, that his father's office agreed to let the papers run with the drug reports to make the scandal-tarred Charles look like a concerned parent. No more the unfaithful husband, Paul would now be presented to the world as the harried single dad coping with a drug-addled child. Of course, Harry writes, I had been taking cocaine at the time at someone's house during a hunting weekend. I was offered a line, and I'd done a few more since. But it wasn't much fun, he says, and it didn't make me particularly happy, as it seemed to make everyone around me, but it did make me feel different, and that was the main goal. He said, I was a 17-year-old willing to try almost anything that would alter the pre-established order. At least, that's what I was trying to convince myself of. He also said he smoked pot and used psychedelic drugs because they um, they allowed him to escape reality. I'm going to say this a hundred times and you guys are going to get so tired of it. And I don't mean to sound preachy. It's just this gossip is gossip. Sure. It's juicy family drama. Sure. But it also shows the destruction of the political forces that we fight against every day. This is what is begot of their policies. This is what happens when you remove God from society, when you detonate a nuclear bomb in the nuclear family, when you degrade marriage, when you're sexually promiscuous, this is exactly what happens. Harry talks about, speaking of sex, more information than you ever wanted to know about Prince Harry's sex life. I don't know what possibly possessed him to put this in the book, but he did, so... Let's talk about it. Harry talked about losing his virginity. He called it an inglorious episode with an unnamed older woman. Ew. Really, really ew. Although I wonder how old he's talking. Morbid curiosity. Can't help it. That's what I'm thinking. This is what he writes. 
She liked horses quite a lot and treated me not unlike a young stallion. Quick ride, after which she'd smacked my rump and sent me to grace. Among the many things about it that were wrong, it happened in a grassy field behind a busy pub. <laughs> Sick. <laughs> that is disgusting. <laughs> that is gross. But what did he feel? He felt disrespected because this was sex outside of the context of what it was supposed to be. Why would he tell this story? Why would his editor let him tell this story? This is not, believe me, none of us wanted to know that story. Um, William and Harry did not want Prince Charles, now King Charles, to marry Camilla. They actually asked her, him not to. This is what this is what E News writes. There was initial concerns that she'd be a wicked stepmother type proved unfounded. Harry shares that he and William pleaded with their father not to marry Camilla Parker Bowles, Charles's ex-girlfriend, turned confidant, and mistress turned eventually publicly acknowledged romantic partner and now queen consort. That should be her Twitter bio, I think. This is what Harry writes. A wedding would cause controversy. It would incite the press. It would make the whole country, the whole world, talk about mummy, compare mummy and Camilla, and nobody wanted that, least of all Camilla. We support you, we said. We endorse Camilla, we said. Just please don't marry her. Just be together, Pa. But Inu says Charles was determined to marry her, which he did in 2005, and eventually his sons accepted it. Despite Willie and me urging him not to, Pa was going ahead. We pumped his hand, wished him well, no hard feelings. We recognized that he was finally going to be with the woman he loved, the woman he'd always loved, the woman fate might have intended for him in the first place. Whatever bitterness or sorrow we felt over the closing of another loop in Mommy's story, we understood that that was beside the point. That's really sad. That's really sad because a broken family, they're, I mean, it's broken. It's broken. Um, he talked about the manifestation of his grief. He never protested as a child, as an adult, a young adult. He took that same drive that Diana, that fateful drive, that last drive that Diana, where Diana was killed because he and William didn't believe that it was just an accident. They believed that someone was at fault. They, they pressured the palace to investigate. Um, he said after he made this drive, going the same speed, 65 miles an hour, that Diana's car had been making, or had, had gone, and he said it wasn't a problem. This was not speeding. He said later, this is what E! News writes, later he told William about it, and his brother said he had also made the same drive. It turned out they were both eager to have the inquiry into their mom's death reopened, Harry writes, but palace officials persuaded them to drop it. An inquest began in October 2007, and the following spring, the findings stated that Diana was unlawfully killed due to the gross negligence of the driver of the car, Henry Paul, and the paparazzi who followed them into the tunnel. Harry and William said in April 2008 they were hugely grateful for the verdict. Again, what is this? This is a lack of closure because they didn't properly process this. I, 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 I would posit that it's nearly impossible to properly process grief if you, if you don't have a belief in the afterlife, if you don't have a faith in God, if, you're, if your worldview is entirely centered on life on earth, then death, especially tragic death, is even more of a tragedy than it already is because there's no hope for something after. There's no hope for something better. There's no hope for being reunited with, with your loved ones um, in, in, in heaven or that your loved ones are in eternity with God. It's, it's a much deeper, darker, heavier thing that I'm actually not sure how people process if they don't have faith. Harry also revealed how many Taliban fighters he killed when he was serving his country in Afghanistan. I think that's really weird that he talked about, talked about notches on, on his rifle butt, if you will. That's, it's, it's, first of all, it's creating a security risk because that's just going to anger the Taliban. But it's also against just an unspoken code of ethics in the military that you don't talk about that. You certainly don't reveal that publicly. Really weird that Harry would do that. 
Um, and he talks about the, the relationship with his brother, William, breaking down long before Megan came into the picture. He talks about how he started to have panic attacks. Harry started to have panic attacks in public, uh, at public events. In um, He feared open or public spaces and how William mocked him for that. I have no idea if that's true or not. I guess that's not one of the more serious allegations, but it does show that there wasn't a family support system for what Harry needed, which leads to this kind of breakdown in relationships. Um, and then, of course, William tried to warn Harry about Megan. And in this case, this might be the one time that I take William's side on this. It's pretty obvious that Meghan Markle is a deranged individual. It's pretty obvious that she's both... I mean, if you can't come off as likable in the Netflix documentary that you produce about yourself, then you know you have a real problem. So uh, William tried to slow down Harry's engagement, just said, wait until she's ready to be part of the, the, the royal family, but uh, that didn't happen. That didn't happen. And uh, I guess we can all see how, how the story has ended, how the story has ended up. And Harry and William, I guess, got into a physical altercation, which we talked about over on Locals a couple of days ago. So all of this is to say, this is a really juicy book. He did not withhold details like he has in the Oprah interview. They made a lot of vague allegations without substance or without backing it up with substance in, in his Netflix documentary, he did the same thing. This one actually has a lot of juicy stuff in it. Pretty interesting um, if you're a royal watcher, but also, also, here's the thing. Here's the thing. And now here's where I'm going to downplay it. These are actually the same problems that every broken family has. These are the same. They, they, they yeah, sure. They have a crown on their heads, Prince William and uh, Prince Harry and King Charles. They have a crown on their heads, but it's not actually particularly drama-y. Like, so many people in our country sit and watch The Real Housewives of whatever city that they're in all the time. And even that drama, like, it's a sensationalized version, an opulent version of the same drama that people have experienced in their own lives. That's why there's a level of obsession with those shows. That's why, because it resonates with people, right? That's the same thing with this. This drama is actually a dysfunctional family. It's not because they're royal. It's not because they're wearing crowns. It's not because they have some kind of special circumstance. This is... This, what you're looking at right here is this is this is the real problem behind both sides is the breakdown of the family and the lack of faith in God. What you're seeing play out in front of your very eyes is not some royal drama. What you're seeing play out is the ramifications of divorce, the ramification of the degradation of marriage. That is what you're seeing it play out. Um, that's my commentary on on Prince on Prince Harry on Prince Harry's book. It didn't disappoint. That's what I will say. Even if he did copy Andre Agassi's book cover here. So before we go, there's one other thing that I want to comment on, and that is the American Academy of Pediatrics has issued new guidelines on how to treat childhood obesity. So context here: previously, they took a watch and wait approach to childhood obesity, because a lot of children grow out of it. A lot of children don't, but they didn't, they didn't advocate that small children, because we have like fat kids in our country now, like little kids, sometimes toddlers who are fat. And they didn't, they didn't advocate any, um, you know, diet or exercise for little kids. They just said, you'll take care of it when, when the child is older. Well, they've revamped their recommendations. And now the American Academy of Pediatrics has um, begun to advocate for children to be put on drugs and to undergo surgery if the children are fat. I find this to be very unsurprising coming from, coming from the American Academy of Pediatrics. This is what NPR says. The group, the American Academy of Pediatrics, is now advising pediatricians to offer treatment options early 
and at the highest available intensity for obese children. The most effective interventions require upwards of 26 hours over three to 12 months of intense in-person behavior and lifestyle treatment from healthcare providers. Such treatment includes coaching on nutrition, physical activity, and changes in behavior such as role modeling by parents. This approach should be used for kids six and older and may be recommended for those as young as two and their families. After this intensive therapy, weight loss drugs should be considered for adolescents as young as 12, the American Academy of Pediatrics says, while teens 13 and older with severe obesity should be evaluated for weight loss surgery. This push, NPR writes, to treat obesity earlier comes on the heels of the approval for children 12 and up of a new weight loss medicine called Wegovy, a weekly injection of a drug that is also used to treat diabetes. Ho-ho! Well, there you go. The American Academy of Pediatrics, once again, in bed with Big Pharma. What do they want to do? They don't want healthy children. They want drugged children. They want children poked and prodded and stuffed full of anything produced by Big Pharma that profits these Big Pharma companies. Of course they want to medicate your kids. Of course they want to advocate for surgery. Maybe the problem here that they're ignoring, maybe the problem is trash food that we're feeding our children garbage. That's obviously the problem. No exercise, too many screens, and garbage food. This is actually a relatively simple problem to resolve. A relatively simple problem. But what's their solution? To profit financially and ideologically. They, when they use this phrase, the whole child approach, it reeks of social-emotional learning, which is a neo-Marxist education pedagogy in public schools that's actually quack psychology practiced by unlicensed individuals like teachers and school administrators to try to reshape and reform children's minds to quote-unquote learn better. It's really, really nasty stuff, and the American Academy of Pediatrics is now advocating for it as well. Parents, reject it. All right, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show.